Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Give your Bibles. We're going to turn to two places tonight. If you'll go with me to Matthew chapter number six and maybe place a marker there and then head over to Matthew, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter number four. We're going going to go to Matthew chapter number six. Put a marker there, if you will, and then Philippians chapter number four. I read several years ago the story, true story, of a a boy named Justin. At the time, he was 13 years old. This was back in, I think it was 2002, not when I read it, but when it happened, about 20 years ago now. But I remember reading this story. and. He was, he was 13 years old. He was hiking with his father and a group of friends near Yosemite National Park. Right when I said that, somebody just told me they're going to Yosemite. Maybe I shouldn't tell this story. This week they're heading to Yosemite. I forget who told me that. Somebody said they're, so don't, if, if you're here tonight, this isn't going to happen. But uh, I didn't think about that when I had this in my, in my notes. After hiking, they hiked for about four and a half miles. And after they're about four and a half miles from the trailhead, they stopped, as you often do on a hike. And they rested on a boulder. They sat, sat down on a boulder, and Justin sat there on that boulder. He was sitting on the rock. They were all drinking and kind of resting, and his arms were hanging at his side. And unbeknownst to him, there was something else near that boulder. I guess it goes a little bit along with our message this morning from the serpent. There was a rattlesnake, a five-foot rattlesnake that was there right by the boulder as they sat, and Justin's arms were hanging down. Is it your family going to Yosemite, Craig? Craig? Craig Smith, I just remember, you told me that this morning. Just don't put your arms down on any boulders, all right? I'm sorry. But as he sat there, immediately in his left hand, a sharp pain, and that rattlesnake had bitten him. When they figured out what it was, they looked and they saw the rattlesnake. It took his party, it took the camp director and and several others four hours to transport him the four and a half miles back um, to the trailhead where there was a rescue helicopter that was awaiting them. And uh, that rescue helicopter took him during the 30-minute helicopter ride. He slipped in and out of consciousness, the poison having greater and greater effects on him as each minute passed. He arrived at a Modesto, California hospital where the ER doctor decided that his case was too severe to treat there at the medical center. That diagnosis, that it was too severe to treat here, was the last thing that he heard before he slipped into an unconscious state. He was transferred to the UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento, starting at the Modesto Hospital, and over the next two days, he was given 30 vials of antivenom, an antidote that they gave as they sought to feverishly save his young life. That antidote, thankfully, was administered just in time, but it took another 35 days in the hospital, 30 vials of the antidote, 13 different surgeries, and four months of intense occupational therapy before he, as he survived and before he was on his way back to a nearly full recovery. What was the secret to Justin's survival from the poison that had entered his system? The secret was identifying the poison and finding the antidote. 
Had they not known what it was that was in a system, had nobody seen it or nobody figured it out, if they didn't know what the problem was, and if it had gone much longer, very likely Justin's life would have been lost. Justin was able to live, and and, and then after a month in the hospital, all those surgeries and all of that occupational therapy get back to nearly a full recovery. Why? Because they found the right antidote to the poison that was attacking his life, his system, his limbs. Had they not identified the source of the life-threatening poison and counteracted it, he would have died. I want to preach tonight on what can be, in some ways, a spiritually deadly poison that affects many of us in our lives. I mentioned it this morning, and we, like Justin, maybe don't see it coming or even realize to the extent, or maybe we do see it coming, we see it in our lives, but it can sap us of our spiritual strength, sucking the life out of our spiritual bodies, if you will, will, weakening us to the point that we are of no use for the cause of Christ. A poison, and the poison I want to talk about tonight that I believe is far too prevalent in the life of many Christians is the snake bite of worry. Worry is a silent, deadly killer of faith in our lives. You see, worry and faith cannot coexist in the life of a Christian. Let me say that again. Worry and faith cannot coexist. Why? Because you're doing one or the other, and they're the opposite. They're enemies. You ever feel like Uh, the writer in the Bible, I believe, I want to have faith, help thou mine unbelief. I doubt. I'm worrying. And to the extent that we're worrying is the extent that we're not trusting. And so if we're consumed by worry, then our faith levels are really, really low. And if we're, if we're consumed by faith, then our worry levels will be very, very low. The Bible says this, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatever you're not trusting God about in your life today, it's sin. Uh, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You cannot please, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You see, in our lives, fear worries how things will work work out. Faith trusts God to work all things out. Isn't that what fear is? Fear, what is, what is worry or fear? It's what we're thinking about what might happen, not trusting that God has everything under control. I don't know if it was you, Pastor Jay, that mentioned this, but somebody, it might have been you or a book, I don't remember a conversation or a message I heard, but they defined and gave a definition, anxiety is worrying about something that might happen in the future, depression is dwelling on and really worrying about and being consumed by something that has happened in the past. And we're going to talk tonight about worry, which is really forward-looking. What's happening today and how is it going to affect my tomorrow? Now condemnation, shame, regret, guilt, depression, discouragement, those generally are all things that are prevalent in our lives based on things we haven't handled maybe in the way that we should from the past. But worry and fear, those are us looking based on today's circumstances, we're looking forward and we're wondering how is God going to work this one out? What's going to happen there? Well, what happens if that person gets elected? And what happens if they pass that law? And how am I going to make, if the gas goes any higher, how am I going to, and the finances, and the this, and the that, and whatever it might be, when circumstances around us cause to doubt God, when circumstances today cause to doubt God tomorrow, that is when we know that that poison of worry has set, has crept into our lives. Fear worries 
that God may have forgotten us. Faith knows that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Here's the reality. Worry or fear or to be anxious or anxiety about something is a very normal, natural human emotion when we're faced with situations beyond our control. We all like control, don't we? I want to be in control of every detail of my life. I want safety and security. I want to know how it's going to work out. I want to know the job situation and my relationship status and my family and where is it going to go and what's my life going to look like 10 years from now. I like control. I like to know what's happening. And here's the reality. Life is not all in our control. We figured that out two years ago in COVID, didn't we? The world changed, and we realized a lot of stuff was out of our control, and every one of our lives were changed by those events that none of us saw coming. And you know what worry is? Worry is natural when we realize this is beyond my control. I can't determine this. I can't make this happen. I don't know how it's going to work out. So you know what we do? We worry about it by, by nature. Worry is a very natural human emotion when we're faced with situations beyond our control. However, worry is not a spiritual characteristic in the life of the believer. In fact, the opposite, it's a poison because it's an enemy of faith. It is natural to worry, it is spiritual to trust God. Say that again, it's natural to worry, it's spiritual to trust God. What did the Apostle Paul say? I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What did Paul say? He said, it wasn't natural, but I've learned as I followed God, I've learned wherever he has me. And by the way, he found himself in some pretty precarious situations where he didn't know how it was going to all turn out. He didn't know how his needs were going to be met, how God was going to deliver, what was going to happen. And he said, I've learned when things are under my control, when I abound and everything's good, I can be content. And when I'm abased and when I'm in hunger and I don't know where my next meal's coming from, I've learned to be content. What is Paul saying? It was something I had to learn. It wasn't natural for me to trust God, but I've learned, God, I trust you. Isn't that what contentment is? God, I trust you wherever you have me that this is where I'm supposed to be. Whatever you've given me, wherever I'm at, I trust you and I'm content. I'm satisfied in you. There are some commands that are fairly easy in God's Word, but but this one is not always one that is for me. Tonight I want to, for a few moments, preach to you a message entitled, The Antidote for Worry. The Antidote for Worry. We're going to look tonight at at a couple of key passages that speak to the heart of this issue for all of us. Corey Ten Boom wisely said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it only empties today of its strength. May I ask you, by way of introduction this evening, what have you been worrying about lately? What are you struggling to trust God about? What has kept you up at night the past week or month or year? What has brought tears to your eyes, not because of grief or sadness, but because of fear? or uncertainty or worry? What situation has caused you or me fear, anxiety, stress? For some, it might be a physical trial. You're worried. How's this all going to work out? Where's this going to go? Are the doctors going to get the right answers? How how, am I going to, and it might be a physical trial that you don't have answers to, or you got answers you didn't like. It can cause worry, can it? 
I hate physical trials or finding out, and I haven't walked through a lot of, of some, maybe like some others have with our family, but there have been a few times that we've had some things that we were waiting on results from doctors and we were having tests and scans and trying to figure things out. I hate that waiting time where I don't know what's going to happen, and it's easy to worry about physical trials. It might be a physical trial, it might be a financial trial. According to an article in CNN Money, uh, there's been a sharp increase in the financial insecurity of our nation. We're told that somewhere around one in every four young adults uh, ages 18 to 34 are financially insecure. About one in five of those from ages 45 to 64, somewhere around one in four to one in five of every uh, uh, American adult is financially insecure, meaning there is some fear and worry about their personal finances, maybe the nation's finances, and we're we're entering into a a unique season, it feels like, who knows how how this is all going to work out. And if we're not careful, that causes us to fear, to worry, to be consumed by those things. It might be a family trial. Something happened with one of your loved ones that has caused you great fear and worry. Maybe you and a spouse are struggling, you and a family member. It might be a trial with your job. Your job is is unsettled and you don't know where it's going to go. Maybe you lost your job and it's causing you worry and fear. It might be a relationship trial with a close friend. It may be an attack by Satan or some unjust circumstance that's coming into your life that is causing you to worry. I don't know what it is, but you do and God does, and we are a worried nation. A thousand adults were polled regarding what issues concern them most in America today, and 98% listed at least one issue pertaining to the economy, unemployment, national debt, etc. Others mentioned concern over health care matters, national security, matters of morality, and the future of our children. We are worrying ourselves sick, and, and we, we have way too much news on, giving us all kinds of things and content that is not real healthy, is not strengthening our faith, is only either causing us fear or anger. That's really one of, usually you watch news, one of those two emotions is what's going to happen. You're going to get worried about where things are going, or you're going to get mad about where things are going. You're probably not going to be watching the, the latest news broadcast and the latest news commentator and stop and say, Let's just have a time of praising God. That was just such an edifying time to my soul. Let's sing a few hymns and worship songs here in the house, and let's spend time in Thanksgiving. No, it's either going to be like, oh man, what's happening? I've got to go jump on Facebook and let everybody know what's going on with our nation. Either I'm scared to death or I'm, I'm angry and mad. We're a worried nation. This, this evening, I want us to understand what God's Word has to say about worry. I'm going to show us here in Philippians chapter 4 a familiar passage, but one that I think it's good to stop and sit in here for a minute, and then we're going to look at some of the very words of Jesus about these things. I don't know what the trial is that's causing you that fear and worry, but I hope that tonight the Scripture will, will minister to you and will instruct you and that we'll seek to follow this. Number one, I want you to see in this passage the command regarding worry. Would you read the first four words of verse number six? Philippians 4, verse number six. Would you read those four words aloud with me this evening? Ready? Begin. Be careful for. Would you read them again one more time? Be careful for. One more time. The command regarding worry. Be careful for nothing. Some of you say that my kids, they obey this command really well. They, they, they're not careful about anything. They just make a mess of everything. They're always, that's not what it's talking about, to be careful, meaning like to be cautious. It doesn't mean be cautious for nothing. That word careful there is to be full of care. 
As you study it, the, another definition of that word, it, that, that, that root word is sometimes translated, be anxious for nothing. Be, in our language, be anxious for nothing, be careful, full of care, be, be full of anxiety, be, be full of care, be anxious for nothing. What is the command regarding worry? What should we be worried about? Be careful for? I don't like it when the commands of God have like really sharp and strict parameters where I don't get to define them myself. I don't mind, I've told you this before, I don't mind the one, love thy neighbor. Because then I get to decide who's my neighbor that I want to love, and I get to decide to what level I want to love them. But Jesus added two little words that changes that whole command, love thy neighbor, what? As thyself. Okay, well, I love myself more than I love anybody else. I've told you the illustration before. If you don't believe that's true, every time you look at a group photo, who do you look at first? I was sitting on an airplane a couple months back, I was flying, and the lady in front of me must have been coming from a wedding or a graduation party or something, and I saw her. She had her phone out, she was scrolling through. It was the same group, you know how you take like 20 pictures? It was the same group, and I watched her do it. She, was, she held her phone out, she was sitting in the seat in front of me, and she was doing it, and she would scan, and she would zoom straight in, all the way in on her face, zoom out, all the way in on her face, zoom out. She did it for about 20 pictures. And you know what the reality is? If you look good, that's a great picture. You'll post that thing all over social media, I don't care. That the other person could be over there looking like this, it doesn't matter. If that's my best angle, that's what we're putting up. That's what we're framing in the living room. That's what we're putting. We love our, and I don't like it when, when, when it's that clear. You know, in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 32, the Bible says, be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Okay, I need to forgive people, but I get to decide, and you hurt me enough, then I can kind of justify it. And here's the little caveat, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I don't like that end part, because now I don't get to do my, my mental gymnastics, and I don't get to maneuver and say, well, I'll forgive most people, but that one I could never forgive. No, there's nothing that God hasn't forgiven me. There's nothing that God won't forgive me. And, and, and here, he leaves no room. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, which by the way was a very godly spiritual church, Paul writing from prison, and he says, there is nothing that should cause you to be full of care. There is nothing as a believer that should cause you to live in a state of being stressed out. There is now, there, I understand in our, in our humanity, in our frailty, in our weakness, in our sinfulness, there are seasons that do feel at times just overwhelming and stressful, but we're going to get to the antidote for that. Just because everybody around you thinks that you're justified in your being overwhelmed does not mean as a Christian that you're scriptural in it. And he says here, be careful for nothing. Easy to write, hard to live. The command regarding worry, be careful for nothing. This, there are some commands that are fairly easy in Scripture for me. This isn't one of them. I don't like those four little words. Don't worry about anything. By the way, that's a command just like thou shalt not kill. Just like thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Just like uh, be kind one to another, just like pray without ceasing, be careful for nothing. Sometimes we feel like that's just not possible, Pastor Ryan. Some of us believe big problems sometimes need our help with a little worry every now and then. Maybe that's really not what this passage means, Pastor Ryan. Maybe you're misinterpreting it. Maybe you got messed up in your study. Well, let's see what Jesus had to say. Put a mark. We're going to come back to Philippians 4. We're going to flip over to Matthew chapter number 6. 
A familiar passage of Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to come back to Philippians 4. I want you to see these 10 verses or so in Matthew chapter number 6. Jesus preaching and speaking and teaching about, as followers of Him, how we ought to take care of those things that are outside of our control that naturally cause us concern and worry and fear and anxiety. Matthew chapter number 6, would you follow along please, verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, what are the next three words, church? I say unto you what? Take, take how many thoughts? None. Again. Not a lot of wiggle room for defining terms. Be careful for nothing. Take no thought. It didn't say give a little bit of corner of your mind for that every now and again. You can worry about it for a few minutes, then brush it aside, and then you can go on trust. It said take no thought. Don't think about it. Take no thought for what? Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than, than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air. What is he saying? Don't get worried about the material, temporal, earthly things that so often cause us anxiety. My 401k is crashing. The, my house price is going here. The stock market is doing this. I lost my job. How are we going to make that work? And, and Jesus is not teaching that we ought not be wise stewards, that budgeting is wrong. He's not teaching that. And we'll see it here in a minute. He's not teaching when he says, take no thought, well, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to throw my money anywhere I want. No, there are other principles. He's teaching about anxiety. He's teaching about worry. He's teaching about fear, and he says, don't do it about these earthly, external, temporal things. Verse 26, behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? They don't worry about where the next worm is coming from. God just gives them the worm they need. And if God can take care of the birds that aren't worried about anything, can't God take care of you? Jesus goes on in verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? The answer is none of us. I know because I didn't hit five foot until I think my freshman or maybe going into my sophomore year of high school, and I wanted to be taller. And there's nothing, it doesn't matter, you can try to drink more milk because the calcium in your bones, that was the marketing campaign when I was a kid, didn't make me any taller. You can can try, you know, stretch yourself, do whatever. There's none of us that can say, oh, I wish I was taller, I wish I was taller, and you're taller. Doesn't do you any good to worry about those things you can't control. Those are in God's control. You can't do it. He says, which of you can add? None of us. Verse 28, and why take ye thought? Why are you worried? Why are you consumed? Why are you anxious? For raiment, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, they're not, they're not staying up late, losing sleep, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, wherefore, because of these truths that God can take care of these things, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not... I like those next two words, much more. I like that this morning, Pastor Sammy, that verse you read, how much more. I I like it when, when God gives one thing and then he says, how much more. If he can do this for his creation, that this creation that's going to be here today, the grass, inanimate grass, it's gone tomorrow. It really, in the big scheme of things, if he can take the time to make that so beautiful, how much more? 
How much more, he says, shall he not much more clothe you? Here it is. What is the last phrase of verse 30? Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? O ye of what? Of what? What is he saying? When you have a lot of worry, you have little faith. When you have a lot of fear and anxiety, you have little faith. When you're spending all your energy worrying about what's coming, you're little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Boy, that's me sometimes. Therefore, therefore, because of the promises of God, because of the love of God, because of the faithfulness of God, because of the provision of God, we've never seen God not take care of his creation, let alone the the crowning achievement of his creation, mankind. Therefore, verse 31, take how many thoughts? Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. They're focused on the earthly. You should be focused on the eternal. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Here it is. Would you read verse 33 aloud? Ready? Begin. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. It's a beautiful song. I remember singing in children's church growing up. We would put that verse to song. But what is he saying? The Gentiles worry about that stuff. They worry about the stuff they can't control and the stuff that doesn't matter in the long run. Believers, don't do that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Live with eternity in view. Live with eternal trust God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be who you're supposed to be. Live the way you're supposed to live. And let you take care of your part, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Let him take care of his part. And that is all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of the stuff you can't control if you, if you trust him with those things. And you do what he's called you to do. In verse 30, 34, the last verse in this passage, take therefore no thought, look at this, for the morrow. Why are you worried about tomorrow? Why are you worried about what that, and for all of us, that's different. What's that going to mean for my family financially, relationally, educationally, career-wise? What's tomorrow look like? What did Jesus say? Because of all these truths, Take no thought for tomorrow. Again, I want to be clear. He's not saying it's unwise to be a good steward and to think about providing for your family. He's not saying those. He's saying it's wrong to spend any ounce of our energy and our effort worrying about things that are out of our control. Take, you think he's trying to get something across here? I think three, maybe four times. I think it's three. He said, take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought. No thought. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Turn back with me, if you will, to Philippians 4, and we'll, we'll finish it up. Okay, so I hope that I've proven through these, and we could go to other places, but I hope that I've proven from this passage in Jesus' own words that worry is a poison, that worry is unspiritual. It's natural, but it's not spiritual. 
It's natural for all of us, but it's not something that any of us should get dwell in. It's not something we should. So that's the poison. That's the command regarding worry. But aren't you glad that Jesus, God doesn't just identify the poison? He gives the antidote. I want to give you now the cure, secondly, the cure for worry, the antidote. And it's a three-part cure in verse number six. And by the way, when God gives a command, he always gives the power to obey it. When God gives us a command, He always gives us the power to obey it. We're going to see the cure for worry back in Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 6. Would you go back where we were? Be careful for how many things should we be full of care for, church? Nothing. But notice this, in everything, it's almost like Paul wanted to make sure, I don't have any escape clauses here. I don't have any exception clauses here. Be careful for nothing but in everything, absolutes he's speaking in. There's no, this is black and white. There are no gray areas in this. In everything, here it is. I want you to see the cure for worry. Number one, what is the cure, the antidote for worry? Number one, prayer. By prayer. But in everything, by prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is to ask God. Seek ye first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God. He taught his disciples in the model prayer, hallowed be thy name. Come to me and worship me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Get your eyes on eternity. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayer. Ask God, would you meet our needs? We, we would seek for that. Forgive us as we forgive those. Focus on others in our lives and lead us not into temptation. Help me to seek first the righteousness of God. You know, if we'll do those things, it's amazing when we take the time to cast our care upon Him, we find out that He cares for us. And here's the question, that thing you've been worrying about yesterday, or last week, or last month, or last year, be honest, between you and God, how much time did you spend praying about it? We worry about it, don't we? We talk to others about it. We might even ask others to pray with us about it. We post about it. But do we pray about it? Do we stop and cast all, again, there's that absolute, all our care upon him? Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why worry when you can pray? Many Christians, it seems like our motto is, why pray when you can worry? The antidote to worry starts with prayer. Make your request known unto God. First Peter admonishes us to cast all our care upon him. Let really, I don't mean this disrespectfully, let God worry about it. At work, have you ever had a situation come up and somebody brought a problem to you and you said something like this, that's not my problem, I don't have to worry about that. Take that one to the boss, that's above my pay grade. Anybody been there? There's been a problem come to you at work? And guess what? You didn't lose any sleep over it. Netflix, I was at a place, a place of business where you were this week, and there's plenty of things you probably have to worry about in your place of business and the things that you do, but you don't have to worry about how's the rent going to get paid there. You're not the owner of that, that business establishment. So guess what? Netflix, I don't think you've lost any sleep ever wondering about how's the rent going to get paid for that, that business right there. Never. Why? It's not his problem. If somebody came into work this week and said, hey, Neptali, uh, how, how do you think we're going to pay the rent, the lease on this building this week? You know what Neptali would say? 
I don't know, talk to whatever the business owner's name is, the boss, the guy that signed the lease. Talk to George about it. It's not my problem. I'm going home and sleeping good tonight. I don't have to worry about paying the lease on this building. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do with with those problems that come in our lives. Hey, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to get through that? What's tomorrow going to look like? I don't know. It's not my problem. Let's talk to God about it. Let's give it to Him. That's above my pay grade to worry about. That's above my, that's above my, my responsibility to worry about. I'm going to let them worry about it. That's exactly what God wants us to do with our trials and our tribulations. He says, that's not your problem. Let me worry about it. Let me take care of you. When was the last time you and I prayed about the situation that has kept us up at night? And I'm not talking about a passing 30-second prayer at a meal. I'm talking about if it's keeping us up at night, pouring our hearts out to God, sharing our hearts, letting Him know, and letting that peace that comes from God to rather than talking to everyone else about how to fix it. When was the last time we talked to God about it? And sometimes it's, I don't understand why He hasn't fixed it. Well, have we asked Him? How long this week did we pray instead of worrying? It would be like Justin after being bitten by the snake, refusing treatment and saying, I'll just worry about it. That'll make it better. I don't need your help, doctor. No, he needed the antidote to that poison or else he would have died. And so do you. Worrying is not doing any good for that problem. The first part of the cure, the antidote in this passage is prayer. God, I'm asking you to give me the strength, the grace. I'm asking you to to take care of this in the way that you want and help me to learn to be content in whatsoever state I am. God, I'm giving it over to you. I'm casting all my care upon you because I know that you care for me. Back in 1920, the songwriter Edward Henry Joy penned these words. Is there a heart or bound by sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden bearing. All your anxiety, leave it there. What does the chorus say? All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear, never a friend like Jesus. No other friend so keen to help you, no other friend so quick to hear, no other place to leave your burden, no other one to hear your prayer. All your anxiety, all your care. Bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. What's the second part of the cure? He says here, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. And there it is, by prayer and what, church? Prayer and supplication. Supplication. That word, prayer is the word, the Greek word, ateo, to ask, to crave, to desire. And prayer, we, we think of prayer as when we talk to God, and that's, that's true in the big sense, but the model prayer, it contains worship, it, it contains um, requests, it contains a whole lot of things. But the actual Greek word translated prayer is a teo, to ask. Supplication is a little different. Supplication is the idea, it literally means to seek, to entreat, and to ask. It's the idea of over and over and over again. So prayer 
and supplication. What is that? That is, that is persistence in the relationship. That's not, okay, I've got this trial, I've got this burden, I've got this thing I'm worried about, I'm going to come to the altar, I'm going to pray about it, and then I'm done. No, it's the idea of giving it to God every day, coming back and back and back over and over and over again. Why? Because if we're not, if we're not doing that daily, it's very easy for us to take that burden back to ourselves. It's the idea of over and over and over again. Kids understand this. When they have something that they need or they want, they are really good at supplication. Hey, Dad, I really wanted this, and Dad, can I have that? And what do you want for your birthday? I told you I want this. We have two birthdays coming up in our house this week. And one of them has had a wish list taped to the wall with all of the things that she wants for her birthday. And, and, and if somebody asks, she points to the list, and, and the Amazon links are right there. Here's what you can buy me. I remember when our boys, Titus and TJ, were younger, there was a season where they loved Legos, and our house felt like a Lego store. And how many of you understand Legos is not a cheap hobby? It has gotten more and more like they are expensive, and we had so many Legos. And there was one Christmas in particular, I think it was TJ, probably a decade ago now, and my wife and I, every year we have a shopping day that we go out and we order stuff online, we go to the mall, the stores, we pick our stuff up, we always do a shopping date where we spend time trying to get everything for everybody, most of it at least in one day. And, and, uh, and we had asked and asked what, what people wanted, and, uh, and at that time TJ hadn't said anything about Legos. And then we did our shopping day early in December, like first week of December. And I think, I don't know why I did this, but it was like that night we got home and I was, maybe it was because I just wanted to feel good that we got what he wanted. And I said, TJ, what do you want? And he said, I want this Lego set. And, and I looked at my wife like, we didn't buy that. We didn't buy any Legos. I was like, so what, like, what else do you want? I'm trying to see if we got something on his list. And I don't remember. He said, Dad, really, all I want is Legos. I was like, but you know we have 83 sets of Legos in the garage. We don't need any more Legos in here. No, but Dad, I want Legos. And then like, I thought, okay, we'll let that go. That's really the first time I've heard about it in a couple weeks. And we'll see, like he hadn't said anything about that through November. We'll see. And then a few days later, somebody asked him, maybe grandparents called or something. What do you want for Christmas? You know, you get around Christmas and everybody asks kids, what do you want for Christmas this year? And everybody asked him, I want Legos. Hey, dad, mom, here's my wish list. Legos, Legos, Legos. We hadn't bought Legos. We were done shopping. Guess what he got for Christmas? Legos. Why? Supplication. When we found out that's really what was on his heart, it wasn't just a one-time request, but this was over the course of a couple of weeks, it was his, his request, he was passionate about it, he brought it to us and to others over and over and over again. Guess what we did? He got the other stuff we bought, but we went out and bought some more Legos. We understand that with our kids, don't we? If we find out that it's that important to them, then we have a little more of a heart to take care of that for them. And I'm not trying to be irreverent, but the Bible does say if we know how to give good gifts to our Father, how much more your Heavenly Father? Supplication, it touches the heart of the Father. Supplication touches the heart of God. Supplication going over and over and over again. In Matthew 17, verse 21, the disciples were dumbfounded why they couldn't solve the problem they were facing, and Jesus told them it was because of their unbelief. Then our Lord told His disciples, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and what, church? Fasting. Prayer and fasting. 
What was he saying? He was saying there are some things, I, I believe as I study that, there are some things that God has to know our hearts that this is really serious to us. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to do these things to show, God, would you hear my prayer? Would you, I, I'm willing to fast. Some of these things God doesn't do unless there's a vessel that is clean and ready for him to do those things through. There are some things in our lives where God wants more than a 30-second prayer. He, he might want to see how serious we really are about serving someone. The effectual, what does it say, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent, not just God I ask once, but over and over and over again. And by the way, prayer changes things. Sometimes it changes the circumstances, and sometimes it changes us. Sometimes as we pray over and over and over again, God does a work, and it's not that the circumstance goes exactly the way we thought it would, but through that relationship, God changes us. That supplication, it might not be, God is not a genie in a bottle. It might not be, well, I prayed X, Y, Z for 30 straight days. God, now you have to do it. It might be as we began to pray, the Holy Spirit, He taught us some things, and He molded us, and He showed us. Have you made it clear? your heart to the Father, supplication. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The final part of the cure for worry. Look at the end of verse number six. Let not, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What are the next two words? With what? With what? Let your requests be made known unto God. It's okay to have some things that we're bringing to God. In fact, we should be. That's not worrying, but what does he say with thanksgiving? The cure for worry, one of the parts is thanksgiving. That, that seems strange. Thanksgiving is not just for the fourth Thursday of November. When you spend time every day thanking God for all that he has given you, it brings that one thing that he hasn't done for you into perspective. You spend a little time in thanksgiving it changes your perspective about your current need. God, before I bring that need to you, before I talk to you, and by the way, it's a relationship. You don't have to be, not some, before I talk to you about that thing that's on my heart right now that I really wish you would change or you would answer or you would show me how it's going to work, I just want to stop, God. And I want to say thank you for salvation. God, I want to say thank you that you're, you're faithful. God, I want to thank you for forgiving every one of my sins and God, I'm however old I am right now, and God, to this point, you've given me food and raiment and a place to live and a bed to sleep on every day of my life. Let me put my calculator out. That is, God, that's like 10,000 days or whatever. For 10,000 days, you've met my needs. Thank you. God, you give me so many friends and family and so many blessings and joys. God, thank you for the clothes that I'm wearing today, and thank you for the love of family. God, thank you for a church family that, that cares, and God, thank you for, for a place that we can gather together and we can edify one another, we can sing together, and for a, a pastor and leadership that will teach us the Bible, and God, thank you for the Bible in my language. God, I have, the, I have the Bible I can open every day, and guess what? By the time you get done with thanksgiving for all the things that God is, and all the things that God's done, and all the things that God's given you, and all the ways that He's proven Himself faithful for week after week, and month after month, and year after year, guess what? All of a sudden, that thing that you're stressed out about today, it gets put into perspective. You know what? You've been pretty strong.
for the 30 plus years that I've known you as Savior, I think you're, you're probably strong enough for this one. Maybe, maybe I don't have to worry as much as I thought I did. You, you've, you've proven yourself pretty faithful, God. You've met my needs, and it hasn't been perfect, but God, you've brought me on this journey, and Lord, you've given me more joys than I deserve and more love than I, I could ever earn. And, and God, I, I, my thanksgiving, what does it do? Remembering his power in the past reminds us of his power in our lives for the future. Thanksgiving. It's interesting, because that seems like a strange way to keep our hearts from worrying, but it's a beautiful way. It reminds us what He has done in the past. Maybe sit down and write a list out and talk about it, and isn't God good, instead of, well, this is what I'm worried about here, and honey, what about that? And you're just, marriages sometimes, we can do this to each other, we're just pouring one burden on top of it. And I'm not saying you can't share your heart with your spouse. I'm not saying that you can't be open with one another, but if it's always, well, this is a burden, and this is my, my heartache, and this is my heartbreak. Are you ever talking about, honey, God's been so good to us? And honey, God's proven faithful time and time again. We've been following him for years or for decades, and he hasn't let us down yet. Honey, I think God can get us through this one. Thanksgiving will strengthen your faith. Remembering what he's done in the past will strengthen your faith in him in the present and in the future. You might be here in July, God, I wonder how we're going to make ends meet. God, I just want to stop and thank you for June, the ends met. I had to stretch them real far, but they met. And God, for May, the ends met, and God, in 2021, you got us through that. In 2020, you got us through a global pandemic. And in 2019, you got us through that unexpected death of a loved one. And God, in 2018, you got us through that heartache. And God, in 2017, you brought us through that. And God, back in 1982, and however, you know what, when you start to remember that, what you're facing in 2022 gets put into perspective. The last thought, what are the consequences, what's the consequence of the antidote? Would you read verse 7 aloud, and we're done. Verse number 7, ready, begin. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What's the opposite of anxiety and fear and worry? Isn't it peace? Isn't that when we, it's, yes, faith, faith and fear are, are, are on opposite sides, but the opposite of worry, worry, anxious, I'm anxious, peace. And he says here, the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He gave us a command, but he didn't tell us, he didn't leave us alone to try to figure out how to fulfill that command. The command was, be careful for nothing. And then he gave us the cure. Here's how you do it, prayer. Cast your care upon him. Supplication. There are other things we could add into this from other passages, but for this specific passage, go to God daily. Let, let that, that thing that was causing you worry, let it strengthen. Instead of it being a daily burden, let it push you to be a daily builder of your relationship with God. God, I'm going to come and talk to you about this every day. And when I do, yes, I'm going I'm to let you know the things I'm worried about, the things I'm, I'm struggling with, the things I'm burdened about, but I'm also going to stop and just thank you. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And when you do that, the consequence of the antidote, just like Justin, it might take a little while. 
If you've gotten yourself worked up, it might take a little while to detox out all the fear and all the anger about, about what's happening in, in America and around the world and, and in D.C. and in Sacramento and in Orange County and at my job and in my family and on my Facebook page, and you've gotten yourself all worked up with anger and fear, it might take a little while to heal. But if you'll cast all your care on Him, everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, what does Paul say? What's the consequence? What's the promise? The peace of God, which passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense how you could have peace in that situation. It'll keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There will be a calm. There will be a peace. There will be an eternal focus instead of an earthly worry. How about you? Have you struggled with worry lately? I have at times. What's troubling you this evening? What burden are you carrying? Is the poison of worry slowly sapping your spiritual strength, robbing you of your faith and hope, taking away maybe your, your trust in God, your, your purpose for living? Get the antidote administered before it's too late. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And let, as that antidote, you might need 30 vials. You might need 30 vials of prayer and 30 vials of supplication and 30 vials of thanksgiving, but let that antidote slowly counteract that poison of worry, of fear, and learn, God, I trust you. I'm resting in you. I'm learning to be content wherever I find myself. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.